There we are. We are live, and this is a special episode. The Leafs Weekender will be later on tonight live as well here on Offside. But we are sitting down with the one, the only, Alan Edmanski. Did I get it right? You nailed it. All right, <laughs> let's go. And, of course, I'm always riding with my two guys here, Dylan Fournier on the Sunday nights, and, of course, Mr. Pete, the Weekly Heat, is here with me as well. Um, sitting down to talk with Alan about the Kingston Frontenacs, uh, obviously his career, what he's done so far. There's a guy named Shane Wright that used to play for them, just got dealt. Um, some information on him would be good, too, to pick his brain. And he may be wearing a Habs hat, but we're going to pick Alan's brain about the Toronto Maple Leafs and what they may be able to do this year and what he sees as a distant observer. But, Alan, before we kick in on all that, how's your night treating you? Uh, pretty good so far. The Habs picked up uh, an un- unexpected win earlier this evening so uh, i'm i'm pretty good with that i know everybody says well embrace the tank but that's not how my mind works if you're playing the game you should be out there trying to win every single night and uh it's good to see them bounce back after a tough one yesterday yeah it is i mean the both of our podcast would say you know we'd rather see them lose not just because we're leaf fans but i mean we watched the Leafs for so many years go on these torrid runs towards the end of the season mess up their draft position, then tank, again, crater, miss the playoffs, mess up their draft spot, and just be frustrated. I'd rather just see them, the Montreal Canadiens, that is, get a good draft position, get a good player, and do it right. Because we know, as Leaf fans, how it is as the fan base when it takes way longer than it should to get some good players to the draft. Well, the thing like the thing I keep in the back of my mind is they can still be competitive this year, and as long as Florida's tanking, we're good because they've got that first round draft pick from the Cats. Oh, that's gonna be brutal. Can you? They have the potential to get one and two this year. I would absolutely lose my mind if that happens. <laughs> like to me, to me, if if Florida winds up getting the first overall pick and it goes to Montreal, and, and that's the way it's set up, mm-hmm. like. Like that's a fireable offense to me. If if you're the owner in Florida and you just gave up Connor Bedard in a trade for a guy that's now playing for the Detroit Red Wings who left free, that's terrible. Yeah, no, it's no good. It's no good at all. It, it is a fireable offense. But I mean, what are the Florida going to do every single year? Fire the coach, fire the GM, keep it moving that way. It doesn't uh, doesn't bode well for the organization to keep doing that. But damn, man, imagine one and two. Adam Fantilli and Connor Bedard, come on down. Who would you take, by the way? Obviously, Connor Bedard's the home run. But for the second pick, would you go with a stretch and take Michov and just wait? Because, I mean, you got some young talent now. I like Fantilli a lot. Um, what he's doing at Michigan as one of the younger guys is fantastic. And I think having seen his his uh, his minor hockey days and kind of the players he, he's invo- evolved into, if you put with guys like Cole Caulfield and Nick Suzuki, I think uh, I think the the potential is there for something really special. No, it definitely would be. Obviously, you you grow. From the young players, like the Leafs fans, we, we've gotten to experience it with the young guys that we finally drafted and brought through. Obviously, the playoff success isn't there, and we'll talk to you about that later on. But watching young guys come through an organization like you know Suzuki, like Cole Caulfield, who had a bit of an up-and-down year last year, might have been coaching. Ducharme didn't really do him any favors. But now this season, seeing what he can do as a consistent NHLer with a guy like St. Louis, who isn't a mistake-slappy-to-the-bench kind of guy, 
he's a mistake. Go learn from it and play better. Um, kind of coach, and I love that. So for the young players coming through there to be great, and again, adding a Connor Bedard and Adam Fantilli to that lineup, Chef's Kiss and the Leafs fans would be uh, very upset. <laughs> I, I, I'm hoping it happens just so we can see that because they'll all lose their minds. Oh, the meltdown would be the most epic proportions. You thought the Vancouver rides were something. Wait until Toronto fans see the Habs pick up those two players. It would be horrible. <laughs> Pete's already thrown up oh. his mouth. Alan, let me ask you something. Were you shocked when the Montreal Canadiens didn't pick Shane Wright? No. Um, a little bit because for so long, they, the word in Montreal has been, well, you need a center, you need a center, you can't trade for them. Mm-hmm. You have to develop them. But then earlier in that draft week, I heard rumblings and I've got a couple of friends who are scouts for different organizations in the NHL. I just kind of sent them a message. I was like, Hey, is there any chance that Montreal like surprises everybody goes away from Shane Wright? And he says, well, I haven't heard anything recently, but let me check in. And then, so they sent back and like the response was there's some smoke there. And then it happened. And, and when it was going down, I was in a wedding. So I was at a rehearsal dinner, so I couldn't watch it all unfold live. But all of a sudden I started getting messages from guys and they're like, what's going on? What's going on? And so I mean, like I had to sneak out and like find a, find a stream to, to get it. And then Wright didn't go one. He didn't go two. He didn't go three, went four to Seattle, which made a whole ton of sense because during the France uh, playoff run last season, Seattle scout Seattle brass was at a ton of Frontenac's games. Uh, Ron Francis was there. A couple of their Kingston area scouts were there regularly. And so that made a whole ton of sense. Montreal was there maybe once. I saw a couple of guys from New Jersey, but it was always Seattle who was there watching him on a consistent basis. So that all added up and it made a lot of sense to me. All right. No, I mean, We'll, we'll get on the uh, the Shane Wright track now. I mean, Pete threw the swerve in, so let's go there for a moment. Um, I want to ask you, obviously, he slid to four. What did you think of Seattle's handling him this year and the way they had him sitting, putting him on ice, and then sending him down to the AHL and just not really allowing this player to develop and grow? It really wasn't there for him. It kind of had to be frustrating, you know, watching from 1,000 feet. It's super frustrating because I've seen what he's capable of when he's firing on all cylinders. He's doing what he can do, and that is producing and elevating his teammates. So to see him sitting and not getting that chance in Seattle was a little bit shocking. Then you look at their lineup, and Seattle's super deep down the middle with a ton of young talent and some established veterans. So all of a sudden, you start looking, well, who's he going to take right off the hop? And he's only a kid, so it's it's a tough position for him to be in because he's not really at that advanced stage yet where he's going to unseat one of those veterans without losing a year to, of development in the last season. And it all adds up to this being the uh, perfect situation for him to go back to junior, get some reps in, go and hopefully a huge run with the Windsor Spitfires. Um, and then come back to Seattle with that under his belt and kind of a better sense of what he do- needs to do on a day-to-day basis to be that full-time pro, how much the pro game is different than junior, and how he can go about making that transition to the next step. 
Now, were you shocked, obviously, as World Juniors? I mean, there was something left more to desire. But, I mean, the way that he was handled with Seattle and stuff like that, he kind of came in and had to get his footing again, really, because he obviously wasn't up to speed. I mean, he looked good down the AHL, but at the same time, not getting the proper reps and up and down and not knowing where you're going or what's going on. It's got to weigh on a guy. It doesn't matter if you're 17, 18, 19, 35, or 39. If you're possibly going to get traded when you get back, not knowing if you're going to the NHL, AHL, wherever, it really does make it difficult on a guy. What did you think overall of his World Junior performance? I thought he probably could have contributed a little more offensively, but how many times have we seen guys really skilled their top line junior teams and then they get picked for the Team Canada and they have to take on a different role? And I think it shows kind of his be able to take on a different role. And really, you, you mentioned it, well, how he's bounced around. He's gone from Seattle to Coachella, now from Kingston to Windsor. Um, and really he's taking it and taking it all in stride, which I think shows that his, his adaptability and his willingness to learn and kind of go about his business and not really make much of a sink, uh, speaks to his character. Definitely does. Now for you, when that trade was going down and he was going to be coming back and then moved, how early did you hear the rumblings about Windsor? Everybody thought he was going to London. That was the big one there. Um, did you know anything beforehand or did you happen to have maybe like a betters pick of three teams where these are the guys that are in line for Shane Wright? Well, initially Windsor was kind of there and then they made a couple of big deals. And so all of a sudden I was thinking, okay, they're out. Like there's no way they're going to be able to pull off something to get Shane Wright. And then, other teams started making big moves. Peterborough made a series of acquisitions, and then the rest of the East uh, unloaded. Mississauga got rid of their big guys and dealt them off. And then so now I'm looking around the league, and I'm thinking, well, who else is left in this picture that can make something? And uh, maybe, but they really want to put with a whole lot to get a rental player. And then it all circled back to Windsor, and I didn't hear it until uh, it was – Right at the deadline, and I can't remember, somebody on Twitter put it out there, and they said, I hear that Shane Wright to Windsor is being finalized right now. And it was, uh, his name escapes me, but he's from The Athletic. And I said, oh, because Jeff Merrick had been on Hockey Night in Canada the night before and said, London's going to be the landing destination for Shane Wright, and they're working on it. And all of a sudden, I was like, whoa, whoa, Windsor. We're back We're back to Windsur. Um, And so it was a bit of a surprise. But again, he's a rental player everybody's got questions about him and then right up until the end of the world juniors they didn't know whether he was actually going to be back at junior or if he was going to stay in the nhl kind of like dylan gunther did when he came back afterwards so there were a lot of questions and and, and i can understand it took so long to get something done um and i think kingston made the best of a tough situation to be able to maximize their return now with you guys getting a couple of players and a handful of picks, how do you how do you feel about the return for Shane Wright? So all the scouts say that Ethan Miedema is going to be a great player. He's the kind of the main piece that they included, a big 
forward here. Um, he's a big guy, like huge. When I saw him at the first uh, home game on Friday night, I was kind of blown away because I knew that he was big, but just kind of standing there next to him. Like I'm a big guy. I'm six, four. And he, he, I'm looking kind of a little bit up at him. So uh, that was shocking to me, but then there's another piece that's kind of intriguing in Gavin McCarthy, who's right now he's playing in the USHL for the Muskegon Lumberjacks. Um, but he's been through the American uh, U17, U18 programs and is a great defenseman. His brother plays at Boston University right now. He's committed to Boston University, but whether or not he gets there is the question. And I know talking to the Frontenacs on Friday, they're going to have some conversations this summer and trying to go the play route. And they've had success in the past going in and kind of away from that off the top of my head. Had I can a few years to go, Ch Chad Duchesne playing for the Kingston. There was who were, we're losing you a little bit there. Alan. Away at uh, at NCAA school and and defect. Oh, sorry. Um, there was Chad Duchesne who went. He was slated to go the NCAA route and then went to Kingston. Yep. There was Robert Polacello who was playing NCAA and defected Warren Fogle, who's now with the uh, Edmonton Oilers, left his NCAA commitment to come play in Kingston. So there is a track record there for them to be able to get guys to go off that path. And so I'm sure Corey Cooper in the offseason is going to put his best uh, shot forward and try to get McCarthy here because if they can add him, then all of a sudden that blue line looks a lot better. Definitely. That'd be amazing. Yeah, and I mean having that sway too, right? The allure. There's a few teams in the uh, the OHL who have that little uh, sway power, shall we say? Um, for you, you look at this team here. What does this team now have going forward? Obviously, we talked at length, uh, not last episode, but the episode before here on this show, that junior teams seem to go through that three-year kind of cycle period where they're okay, they get good. And then they hit the home runs and they're, they're building towards, you know, a Mem Cup run. Where do you look at Kingston and say they are at on that trajectory? Well, they've got uh, they've got a bid in for the Memorial Cup. So hoping that they can be competitive in uh, heading into next season and really have a shot to that, to get that because they'll award that. I think bids are due January 1st and then they award it the first two weeks of March so we'll find out quite have to get something together and build a competitive team but the one thing they do have is they have a ton of currency to be able to better their team in the offseason in the form of draft picks I think my number might be off on this but I think they acquired 22 draft picks through all the moves that they made at the deadline which is a ton of picks rounds the latest one was round six and so they've got the ability to go out and make some moves this summer and I think they'll be one of the more active teams to make that team um, one of the ones who can can push for not just an OHL title, but but a Memorial Cup title. That's very nice. It reads me of the year the uh, the Mooseheads started making swings with McKinnon and just how that team was built with Drew N and everyone on it. So I, I always get excited when teams reach that pinnacle of the cycle because you know that that year when they're building towards it, especially if you're awarded the Mem Cup, oh, boy, that team goes to brick walls to make that team stacked up so i'm hoping you get that feeling and they could they like they've got some pieces right now in uh blood wins a chicago blackhawks draft pick ethan Miedema, who's going to go in the draft this summer um and so there's guys that they can build around and moving forward i think that they've got 
some axe pieces there that they're able to work with. And so it'll be interesting to see what the offseason looks like because typically Kingston doesn't make a whole ton of waves summer months, but this year they're going to have to. Definitely. So, Alan, the other night they honored the, the Stewart brothers, uh, one of them which is on um, Sportsnet Hockey Night in Canada. What was that like, and how special is that for the fronts? It's super cool for them to be able to welcome back Chris and Anthony to the center and have their numbers hanging in the rink because they're two guys who were the face of the program for really eight years. Anthony's four in Kingston and four in Kingston as well. And it's even more special because not often do you get two brothers who captain the same junior hockey team. And Anthony uh, played for Kingston, was the captain, went to the GM at the time, Larry Mavity, and said, hey, my brother, like he's playing football right now, but he's a pretty good hockey player. Can we maybe give him a try? And Mav said, sure, have him come out. And then from that, kind of kicked the door down and ran with the opportunity. And Pretty much sums up Chris. He was the type of guy who all was that opportunity, and then he would make the most of it. A little bulldog on skates who was highly skilled and not scared of anybody. And then there was Anthony, who was a man, and he could play the fist, but it wasn't really his game. He was more of that scoring forward that so many teams look for. And I can remember there'd be nights where he'd decide to walk out from the corner and he'd just throw his arm up and shield guys off of them and drive to the net, and nobody was going to knock them off the puck. Um, those those two players, just two elite guys, and it's so great to have them and their families come back and be celebrated for a night and have both of their numbers hang. That's amazing. Um, outside of Wright, who has been your favorite player to uh, see live, and what has been your favorite moment to call? I loved watching Lawson Kraus when he was in uh, Kingston because he was kind of that guy. He was pretty raw when he was in Kingston. The, the talent was there, but he kind of needed some refining. And he played on the gym. And then there was Gabe Velarde that we only had for a little bit uh, in Kingston during from the pad. It went all the way to the um, league semifinals before bowing out to Hamilton. And, and Velarde was special because he was a Kingston kid. He played in the program and, and, was this NHL prospect and all of a sudden he decided to come home and he came in and was every bit as advertised scored the big goals was part of the big moments um and so those two really stick out for me and I'm sure that once I once we finish here and I started looking over I'm like oh I missed that guy it's that guy but, but off the top of my head those are two that, that really uh jump out at me and especially Lawson Krause because of his time with world Can or team Canada and the world juniors that that really stuck out for me and in terms of what moment um the Hamilton series was cool because that was the furthest the Frontenacs had ever been on a playoff run. But there was a game leading up to that, and it was against North Bay, and I think it was in round one. And North Bay had no business being in the series. Like, it was a total mismatch. But on the game, it was a good Friday game because I was slated to go to my parents afterwards, and my mom's asking me, what time do you think I'm, you're going to be here? And I'm like, well, the game should be. Um, we'll leave after that. I'll probably be there. The game went, it either went three or four overtimes. I cannot recall off the top of my head. 
bad, but it was just Hadley, and it was uh, it was like a three four overtime game, and I can remember Gabe Velarde was the guy that scored it right in front of me in the corner, um, and I got to interview him afterwards. But definitely one of the most memorable games I've ever seen uh, in in my time with the Kingston Frontenacs, just because. North Bay's goalie was standing on his head. Kingston knew that they want they were going to punch their ticket. It was just a matter of if it was going to be that night or the next night, and uh, it just made for a cool moment. That's awesome. Now I got to ask the question: Did your mom save you a plate? Because obviously you weren't getting there for supper. So <laughs> no supper, and uh, I, I kept getting texts from her. Hey, have you left yet? Have you left yet? Well, mom, we're, we're just in the first overtime. Like, I don't think it's going to take very long. The very mismatched. Like, it should be a quick overtime. Period one goes by. Uh, hey, mom, we're heading to double overtime. Like, I really don't think this is going to go much longer. And then, uh, sure enough, she said, well, we'll just push dinner. Oh, we might have lost Alan there. No, oh, he's good. There we go. We got him back. You're freezing up for a minute there. So yeah, that uh, <clears throat> I'm on. Uh, I live out in the country, so my internet is sometimes it's a little laggy, but it's holding up pretty well. No, yeah. no, it's all right. It's all good. No, it's all I, part of the experience. I like your favorite player, uh, Lawson Cross. I actually met in a bar in London here uh, this past summer. I was. I knew it was him and I didn't want to make a huge moment of it. I didn't want other people like to bother him, but I was like, Hey, uh, are, are you lost in crows? And he's like, uh, depends who's asking. I was like, Oh, just me. He's like, Oh yeah, I'm lost in crows. I was like, do you mind if we take a picture? He's like, yeah, sure. We took a picture and I went on with my night. I was just like, Oh, okay. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, and sometimes those, you know, those encounters don't always go the way you think they're going to go. Right. Cause people, yeah, you say it's, oh, it's they're super cool people. Now I gotta, I gotta ask you. Obviously, working with the uh, the Kings and, and when he was on Team Canada. Oh, you're good. So Go when, ahead, when Lawson was on Team Canada, we were actually at a, a pub here in Kingston, and his whole family. His sister was playing Kings women's team, so his whole family was in town, and we got to watch it pub in in Kingston. That's no, that's a memory right there. Sitting down with people that are actually part of the family. Imagine the emotion there, the energy. I love that. That'd be amazing energy. It was so cool. And as soon as like that, and you could just, they all hug and be very, very cool. It's amazing. Well, I want to ask you, obviously, you work with the Kingston Frontenacs, get to be the voice for them on the, on the air. Um, how did that all come about? How did you start your career there? Um, you know, obviously we, we got to know about that too. So I actually moved to Kingston back in 2000 and I think it was, and we had a tier two team, uh, at the time, the Kingston Voyagers. And I knew the coach and the GM actually funny enough was the France GM. Now, uh, Corey Cooper, he was running things for the Voyagers and I, did some scouting work for them. And then when I moved here, I did a little bit of equipment work for them and whatever they needed. Then all of a sudden their team broadcaster left for a position out West. And so they said, well, you've got a background in it. Do you want to kind of take over this role? And I said, sure, I'll see how it goes about. And so I started doing the games for the Kingston Voyagers and 
uh, I knew the television producer that did the games for the Frontenacs and just kind of we were back and forth, back and forth. And then one day he said, well, our guy's stuck and making it in time. Can you step in and pinch hit? And I said, sure. I, I've never really done TV before, but I'll I'll give it a go. And then after that, it kind of kept happening. And I'd get a every, every other week of a fill-in kind of here and there. And then the next year, one of their regular guys was running for a spot in the elections or something. He couldn't be on the air. So he stepped aside and they moved a guy into that role. But that meant that one of the other positions, the host role was vacant. I wanted to take on that. I said, sure. So I stepped into that. And then from there, just kind of. He'll be back. He'll be back. Give him a sec. Cut off. We're good. Oh, there he's yeah, back. He's back. Sorry, Alan, you keep getting cut off here. I guess there's yeah, no right at the end of that so one. Where did I cut it? Oh, so it was just kind of uh, being being kind of pestering the producer and him giving me the shot, and then one of their regular guys stepped away. They bumped one of their other guys from host role or color role into the play-by-play -play role. And then I got to be the host. And then from there, just kind of kept at it again and, and pestering them. And eventually I got uh, I got to be in play role. That's amazing. Awesome. Just awesome. persistence, man. Just persistence pays off. It's that old adage, right? And being available at the right times too. Just keep poking them. Yeah. That yeah. that's exactly it. Like you just keep keep on it and They'd always like when I started, they were like, Well, we don't really need anybody now. I'm like, Okay, great. Like, I'll just I'll touch base with you in a couple weeks. And I just circle back, hey, anything changed? No, no, okay. And then you just keep at it, keep at it, keep at it. And it, it sounds like it it sounds like what they just tell you, tell you something, but it really worked and it might anger some people or you might frustrate some people, but sooner or later it works out for you because that's how I got into the into the spot I am right now. Definitely. I know Pete's got a question for you. Alan, I'm always intrigued with the announcer of the game. And just, I want to know, like, what kind of preparation do you do? How do you get the pronunciations of the players? Like, what, how do you do to practice before you even get to that position you're in? It's, it's different for all broadcasters, but for me, like, it's something that you're always watching. So every night, like, I'm sitting at home and, I'm checking the scores. I'm following the storylines, seeing who's doing what and what's going on where. And in terms of the pronunciations, the league's gotten way better at it. Uh, but most of the time in the pregame, you'll have a chat with their the other team's visiting radio play-by-play -play wow. guy, and you'll just go through any names that are, are difficult and just ask them, how do you do it? Yeah. Well, I know the NHL's built a database as well amongst the, uh, the guys on either PA or play-by-play. -play. And it really helps, you know, be able to get those pronunciations down. But it's also good to talk to the other guy coming in because he's calling those names every single night. And I'm sure he's bouncing some things off you as well. Yeah, and and the, the visiting radio play-by-play -play guy, they've talked to the players and they've got it from straight from their mouth. And so that's often I find is the best route to get that um the ohl has started to do kind of the same thing the nhl in terms of a database where you can go on and you can find the guy and how they're said it's not league mandated yet so you've got some teams who are great at it other teams that aren't 
And even when we get our media packs before the games, there's a pronunciation guide. But there will be names that have way more vowels than consonants and no guide for that. But then you'll have a player who's Joe Smith and they'll have the pronunciation guide for Smith. Nice. Well, the last thing I want to ask you about here, obviously, you're wearing a Montreal Canadiens hat. But I want to talk to you about the Toronto Maple Leafs. This is a team that we regularly talk about. And, you know, we have our frustrations with them, obviously not going far in the playoffs. I want to ask you, from an outsider's perspective, do you see, even this season, do you see growth, maturity with the key guys on this team that so many people label as the big issues that you maybe need to trade a Marner or a Nylander or a Matthews? I want to ask you, on your opinion, do you think that these guys have taken steps to be able to better themselves in the playoffs? Because as one of your own Kingston Front alumni said, that you need those scars, the scar tissue, to be able to go on. I believe that was Anthony Stewart. And he thinks the Leafs finally built up enough of that to go forward. So it comes full circle to the fronts. <laughs> I I think I think this year, if Toronto's going to do anything, this is going to be the year that they have to take the step. Otherwise, you're looking at major offseason moves and something's got to go uh, in terms of of moving forward but i like i do like what anthony says about about the scars because i think there is a lot to that colorado's a prime example they've had many years where they they failed and they didn't get it done and then ultimately they're able to take the giant leap forward and win the big prize and so i think with toronto they, they've got one of the best forward groups in the league if not the uh the best producing forward group in the nhl um there's still questions on the blue line but i think it's probably good enough to get through at least around this year and then the question is in goal are murray and sam slonoff gonna hold up or are they gonna fall apart you've seen you guys are all leaf fans you've seen it this year you've seen the good and you've seen the bad and the only question is now when the chips are down which one's gonna show up that's it yeah no i listen i like murray my 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 verdict on Samsonov has changed a little bit, but I think Murray is really showing everyone that he is still a very capable Stanley Cup champion. <laughs> but yeah, no, I like getting yeah, opinions like... from everyone, especially someone who covers you know or is a, a Montreal Canadiens fan because it's not supposed to be friendly between us. But if you can get an opinion from someone who's from those kind of fan bases, then it really helps out because then you can even take your rose-colored glasses off for a moment and say, okay, well, maybe we didn't see it that way. See, I can I can say nice things about the Leafs because we bring it back to it was 3-1. Oh, <laughs> and then I'm ah. still good. Alan, I like there you. This point. <laughs> Come on now, Alan. <laughs> no, but that's the fun thing. We we can have fun with those things. It's in the past now. I mean, what Montreal is running on thirty years with no Stanley Cup either. So, you know, it's starting to get a larger window for them as well. Yeah, we gotta, it's, I, I like ultimately. I'd love to see it come down to, to with. It would be nice to see a Canadian team. Win the cup. Yes. Just a Canadian team finally win the cup, break the Batman's curse, 
and allow the floodgates to open. I, at this point, I'm starting to say, I don't care who it is. Just get the job done. Bring the cup back to where it belongs. But we all know where the cup resides on this show. It lives in Toronto. So that's where its address is. If you need to send it a postcard from Montreal, you send it to Toronto at the Hockey Hall of Fame where all the greats go. Yeah. I had, I had one more question actually about the Habs. Um, now there was a moment, I, I, it was a couple nights ago, me and my buddy, we actually used to do the PK and the carry price celebration, uh, after our games all the time when we were younger. Um, that moment of you guys celebrating PK and having uh price come out was actually very nostalgic for me. I just wanted to get your, uh, your thoughts on that moment uh, as a Habs fan. I loved it. Absolutely loved it. Uh, out of when uh, they brought back Juan, his number of closing circle fully to bring back and it's kind of like this is us kind of making a mess for it. And the triple five between him and Carey Price. I was going to give PK like a one-year deal and let him ride it out in Montreal, but it wasn't meant to be. Um, but I still think it was cool for him to come back and them to honor him with a night. Absolutely. Yeah, no, it was amazing. I love the way it was. I love the ovation from the crowd when they saw Carey Price. Um, everything PK does, there's a little bit of a touch to it. And, you know, Montreal will always be his home. I would have liked to see him ride it out one more time. But, Alan, I want to thank you very much for covering out the time for us. I know we've had to push this because of World Junior Gold Games and then obviously the Leafs playing, but now we got you here. I appreciate it. I hope to get you back on again, uh, maybe towards the end of the front season, just see where everything shakes out. Sounds good, guys. It was an honor to join you, and it was a, a real great pleasure to come on and chat a little hockey tonight. No worries. Even though you got us with the uh, the 3-1 jab, we still love you. Uh, everyone, make sure you go follow Alan right here. Make sure you check out his work with the Kingston Frontenacs. But ladies and gentlemen, this is Offside Hockey Talk, where the Maple Leafs, the OHL, and hockey come to talk. <laughs>